Welcome to Culinary Woman. I'm Mickey Maynard. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Join us. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I started the Culinary Woman newsletter to look at the dollars behind the dishes. Our focus isn't so much on chefs or restaurants themselves or the flavor trends that are going on in the industry. We're looking at business. We're looking at what the pandemic is doing to all of our beloved restaurants, whether they're big famous places or small places that are just in your neighborhood. We're looking at some of the interesting people that are taking part in the industry, and we're also looking at some of the major trends that everybody is dealing with. I'd love to have you subscribe to the newsletter. We're at culinarywoman.substack.com. But in the meantime, sit back and enjoy the podcast, and we'll be with you right after this break. If you're a history buff like I am, at some point you find yourself reading up on World War II. And I've watched a lot of World War II documentaries, too. Throughout the pandemic, I've been mentally comparing what the food world is going through to what people went through during the war. Americans don't always realize that Canadians and the British were mired in the war for more than two years before we got in. They don't really know that Asia was rife with conflicts that predated Pearl Harbor and that the ramifications of the war continued there for years after. We tend to think that everything began on December 7th, 1941 and ended with Japan's surrender. Well, that wasn't true. Nor is it true that COVID-19 only started when someone here got sick. Countries all over the world were wrestling with what to do long before Michigan instituted its stay-home order during the second week of March. New York State was even later than us, and some states never put any restrictions into place. I was kind of upset when I heard Bob Woodward's excuse for not releasing his tape of Donald Trump. He said nobody knew anything about COVID on February 7th. Well, lots of people knew about it. There were travel limits, and if you listen to the BBC or NPR, there were reports every day about Asia. When it became clear that the pandemic was spreading here, I knew two things. This was not going to be over with quickly, but I also figured it was temporary, and I still go by that. The World War II analogy kept going through my head, and not our victorious American red, white, and blue version, the very lengthy Canadian and British version, and what happened to our friends in places like Greece, the Middle East, and Asia after the war ended. I was trying to find some comparisons to where we are now, and that led me to read about the hunger winter. We very well might be entering it right now for food producers, for restaurants, and for us, the customers. Let me explain.
The Hunger Winter took place in the winter of 1944-1945, and it was centered in the Netherlands. By this point, Rome was liberated and the Normandy invasion had taken place. Britain had survived the Blitz, but the Baby Blitz in 1944 caused more devastation, which was a reminder that the Germans were not going to give up without a fight. In the fall of 1944, the southern part of Holland had largely been liberated. The northern part was not, and that was some of the most valuable agriculture land in Western Europe. Now, the Dutch government had moved over to London, and they were in exile, and they appealed to agricultural workers to go on strike, thinking that might drive out the Germans. They went on strike, but the Germans retaliated by cutting off food and supplies to the entire country. More than 20,000 people in Holland died of starvation, and the supply lines were not eased until the end of the European War in May 1945. For decades after, people in the Netherlands suffered from illnesses that were related to the hunger winter. One of those people was Audrey Hepburn. Now we always think that she was thin and chic and elegant, and she was, but she was thin because she had nearly starved during the war. That, of course, did not keep her from doing her part. While the hunger winter was going on, the Dutch knew that the Allies were working to end the war. They weren't forgotten, but they were stranded, waiting. I kind of feel like that's what people in the food world are facing with COVID-19. We know that there's work underway on a vaccine, the kind of big invasion that medicine needs in order to defeat the virus. We know that with all the efforts taking place around the world, it's only a matter of time before a vaccine is ready, much like people waited for the Normandy invasion. We know that sensible people are doing what they can to fight the spread of COVID, like masks and hand-washing and social distancing. We know that restaurants and bakeries and groceries have done many, many things. They're using plastic and paper menus and wrapping items individually so that everything is sanitary. We know that cities have blocked off streets and given over parking spaces and set up terraces so people can dine outside. But there's so much that isn't in the industry's control. And we are living through that every day. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci says Americans will have to hunker down this fall and winter, and so will the food world. Last Thursday, I met my friend Susan Kelly in Brighton, Michigan for lunch at the Wooden Spoon. Susan lives in Okemos, which is next to East Lansing, and I live in Ann Arbor, so Brighton is a perfect halfway spot. Before COVID, we got together every couple of months for lunch to get caught up on each other's lives. Susan is the creator of the very popular royal fashion site, What Kate Wore. So there's always some discussion of the Queen and William and Kate and the Little Cambridges. This time, Susan wanted to dine outside, and I did too. We both help look after elderly people, and we both feel it's safer to eat in open air than it is to sit inside of a restaurant. We were waited on by a manager who told us that the restaurant had closed for about five weeks during shutdown. It reopened for carryout first, and it's been serving guests again since June. Now, they've done a nice job with their patio, and you can easily envision people dining and drinking as long as the weather stays decent. But then what? Heaters only work on days with decent weather. It's going to rain and snow here in Michigan and be generally nasty up north. So this is the big dilemma that food places everywhere are facing. That CBC report on indoor dining has to make people nervous. Essentially, the CDC says that complete safety might not be possible inside a restaurant, regardless of all those steps everybody has taken. Essentially, just as restaurant life is getting ready to move inside, the CDC is warning that inside might not be safe. Dining inside a restaurant is going to be a conscious choice. Some people won't think twice, others won't leave the house. Very shortly, if they haven't already, restaurants are going to find out which category their clientele falls into. I know that smart restaurant owners are already facing the fact that this is going to be a tough, tough winter. I think they're already thinking right now about how they're going to shift their focus from indoors to other ways they can reach their customers and hang on to their business until a vaccine is readily available. And you know, there are some estimates that even though we might see a vaccine by the end of this year, it's going to be another year before it's available to everyone. Even with everything that restaurants have done, I have five ideas for improvements, which I wrote about at Forbes, and you're welcome to go look up that story. They fall into these categories. One is packaging, making sure that meals are very attractive and also that they survive a trip if they go with a delivery service. Another is editing the menu. Basically, if you can't offer something, take it off the menu. There's nothing more irritating than seeing something that you used to like and clicking on it and then getting the call from the restaurant that, oh, we don't have that anymore. I think restaurants really have to communicate with their customers. They have to use their Facebook pages and their Instagram accounts and their websites and essentially keep us up to date on what's going on. There should be some straight talk about tipping too, because some of the restaurants that I go to are using their staff for everything. You know, they haven't divided up the specialties anymore into front of the house and wait staff and cooking and bartending and delivery. They are everybody who is working is doing everything. And if that's the case, I would like to know that because I've always tipped 
servers based on the idea that they're getting the tipped wage, which is so much lower than the staff wage. And if everybody's getting paid the same amount and sharing tips, I'd like to know that. If servers are still getting tipped wages, I'd like to know that too, so I can be generous. And another thing I think restaurants have to focus on are special deals. And restaurants are really good at this. We all know about Taco Tuesday and there are happy hours almost everywhere. But this is a time when you've got to get people's attention. I just got a email from the Pizza House in Ann Arbor. And the Pizza House has added breakfast. And I would never think to call the Pizza House for breakfast, but they have a beautiful breakfast menu and now it's available all day. I'm a big fan of breakfast for dinner. So that might get me to order breakfast for dinner. And this is the kind of thing that the restaurant industry has to do. I want the restaurant industry to get through this upcoming hunger winter and come out in some kind of recognizable shape. Now, I know the Restaurants Act is being lobbied by many people. I know that they have many, many co-sponsors. I know that this is something that the industry is putting a lot of time into, but you know, we can't get a basic relief bill for millions of Americans, let alone one for the specialty restaurant industry. So I would not count on this Congress or this White House to be sending tens of billions of dollars in aid to restaurants before the election. That may have to wait for next year. I really think the industry's survival is going to depend on ingenuity. It will be months before this is over and post-COVID normal may never look like 2019. But like the Dutch in World War II, you're not forgotten. We may not want to come in the door, but we'll come to the door, or we'll ask you to come to ours. Now, before we leave, I want to talk about our Culinary Woman of the Week, or in this case, honor somebody who gave Culinary Woman her name. About 10 years ago, I became aware of a website called Journey Woman. Journey Woman at the time was run by Evelyn Hannon, and Evelyn was a pioneer in blogging. She began posting in 1994, and you have to remember that this was before everybody got those AOL CDs in their Sunday paper or had an email account that was separate from their work email. She figured out that women traveled and they wanted help in figuring out how to travel safely and have an interesting time. So she founded Journey Woman and I found her because a friend recommended her and I interviewed her for a couple of New York Times stories. And then we finally met in Toronto and you know, it's like friendship at first sight. Evelyn was originally from Montreal, which is where my ancestors are from, and so we had that in common, and she has two wonderful daughters and Chinese grandchildren, and she was just a delight to get to know. We would go out for Chinese food when we were together in Toronto and talk up a storm, and I found her to be one of the most precious people that I'd ever known. I confided in her that I wanted to move away from pure business reporting, writing about the automobile industry and the airline industry, and write more about food. And she suggested that I do a couple of articles for her on food, and she joked that I could call myself Culinary Woman. 
And so the food writing kind of took off and I asked for her permission to use that name formally and she gave it and she dubbed me an honorary Canadian, which I appreciated. And ever since then, I've had the at culinary woman tag on Twitter and I have a culinary woman page over on Facebook. And now we have the culinary woman newsletter and this podcast. So Sadly, very sadly, we lost Evelyn last year and I was absolutely heartbroken along with many, many of her fans. If you go over to Medium, I wrote an essay about Evelyn and I would love to have you read it because that will give you a good sense of her personality. She was everybody's fairy godmother. She was sparkly, she was fun, she was very much loved and we miss her so much. But Journey Woman continues. Carolyn Ray is running it. I would love to have you follow Journey Woman, both their newsletter and their social media. But in the meantime, sending kisses to heaven for Evelyn. And I hope that Culinary Woman is living up to the faith that you had in us. Thank you. That's it for this week's podcast. Our theme song is by John Goodell. You can find our newsletter on Substack at culinarywoman.substack.com. Please come back and check our podcast for new episodes. We've been so happy to have you at the table. Take care.